Father, as we open your word today, we pray that you'd guide us, open our hearts, speak to us through your spirit. As the text is read and exposed and exposited, we pray that the very word of God, inspired by the spirit, given by Jesus, indicted by God, would be with us today, burning in our heart and changing our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Every one of us in our lives sometime are going to pass through stormy waters. We are not yet standing on the sea of glass. We are on storm-tossed seas. And at times the waves are high. And the winds are fierce. And the night is dark. Now we don't know when the storm is going to come. And we don't know the intensity of the storm, how strong it's going to be. Neither do we know how long the storm is going to last. But we do know this. The storm is on its way. Now that need not fear, grip us with fear. That need not frighten or terrify us. Because although the storm is on its way, we know the master of the wind in the waves. Now there's a wonderful story in the Gospel of Matthew that encourages us when we face stormy waters. And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew the 14th chapter. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to be studying this morning verses 22 to 23. As we look at this passage it's helpful to understand the background of the passage. Jesus has preached all day, and you find that in the earlier parts of Matthew chapter 14. And as Jesus has preached all day, the hungry multitude cries out for food. The disciples urge Jesus to dismiss the crowd and go to, so they can go and get something to eat. Jesus takes five loaves and two fishes and multiplies them and feeds the 5,000. At this point, Jesus is at the pinnacle of his popularity. The crowd wants to make him king. The crowd is urged on by the disciples who want a position of prominence in the new kingdom. Jesus recognizes that if he gives the crowd their wishes, there will be revolution in Palestine, there'll be bloodshed and death. And so to prevent the crowd from rioting, to push for him to be king, Jesus quietly and commandingly dismisses the crowd. The disciples linger. The scripture in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 says this, and if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, here at Living Hope, this is a Bible study hour. We come not to hear the word of man, but we come to hear the word of God. And here in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So Jesus gives an immediate command. Now we get a little nuance on this from John 6. Because in John 6, verse 15, 
John's gospel indicates that although Jesus gave an immediate command, the disciples did not obey immediately. John 6 and verse 15. The scripture says, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. So you see what's going on here. Jesus just multiplied the loaves and the fishes. The disciples urge the crowd on. They say anybody that can work miracles like that can lead us against the Roman armies. Even if some of our soldiers are wounded, Jesus can heal them. Even if we need food, Jesus can multiply loaves and fishes. He is our king. So Jesus perceives that. He departs to a mountain by himself alone. Now, verse 16 is interesting. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. So when you look at Matthew 14, it says Jesus immediately told them to go. That was the end of the afternoon, about 4 o'clock or so. The sun had not set. The disciples lingered there. They did not immediately obey Christ's command. And during the time they were lingering, the storm on the Sea of Galilee was building. Had they gone immediately and obeyed Christ, they would have avoided the storm. When Jesus impresses your heart to do something, do that thing for Christ, because delay can be deadly. When in your prayer life you're praying and you're seeking God and the Lord impresses you to take a step in faith, whatever that step is, listen to the voice of God. Be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. Ellen White comments on this passage in Desire of Ages, page 379 and 380, and says this, The disciples had not put off immediately from land as Jesus directed them. They waited for a time, hoping that he would come back. They wanted him to come back. They wanted him to reconsider becoming king. I continue. They had left Jesus with dissatisfied hearts. They were more impatient with him than ever before. They murmured because they had not been permitted to proclaim him king. They blamed themselves for yielding so readily to his command. They thought that Jesus, if they would have tried to persuade him more, would have allowed them to accomplish their purpose. Now their hesitancy to do what Christ said immediately, their delay put them in a position where they would be right in the center of the storm. Their murmuring, their complaining, their unbelief, their failure to see the miracle before their eyes of the breaking of the bread. All of that led them into a storm where they would learn deeper lessons of faith. Had the disciples grasped the promises of God and saw him as Messiah and by faith launched out as he said, they would have not had to face the greater storm. God loves you so much that if you fail to learn the lessons of faith in the storms you are going through now, in his gracious mercy and goodness, he will allow you to go through greater storms in the future to teach you the lessons of faith that you fail to learn now. I want to learn the lessons of faith that Jesus is teaching me now. Don't you? I want to be a good student 
in the school of the living Christ. Now notice what the Bible says about Jesus, Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. The disciples delay. The disciples hesitate. The disciples have their own preconceived ideas of their future. Matthew 14, verse 23. When he, sent, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. What was Jesus praying about? What was on his heart? What was in his mind that night? Jesus were, was praying for his disciples. His disciples were impatient. His disciples were misinformed. They longed for Christ to establish an earthly kingdom. They desired position. They desired prominence. They desired prestige. That's what the disciples wanted. They failed to understand that before honor comes humility. Before the throne comes the cross. Before sainthood comes servanthood. Before rising high, we must bow low. Before we ever enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven must enter into our hearts. Before we ever walk through the gates of glory, the living Christ must walk through the guarded gates of our hearts. The struggle for power, the struggle for prestige, the struggle for position is not merely a struggle that took place 2,000 years ago. It takes place in families. It takes place in businesses. It even takes place in the church and it takes place in church board meetings. But Jesus leads us to servanthood. Jesus leads us to humility. Jesus leads us to reach out in compassion, to serve, not to seek position, not to seek honor, not to seek prestige. They delayed in following Christ's command, hoping he would return and reconsider his refusal to become king. While they waited, a storm was brewing on a dark, windswept sea that would test their faith to the limit. Delay at Christ's command, I repeat, places us in vulnerability to Christ's, to greater temptations. When we know what Christ wants us to do and fail to do it because of our own preconceived ideas and personal desires, it's extremely dangerous. They were on the sea. Jesus was on the mountain. Notice Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. Matthew 14, and we're going to look there at verse 24. Jesus is alone on the mountain. He's praying for them. His disciples are on the stormy sea. When you and I go through stormy seas, the incredible good news is that Jesus is praying for us. We are on his lips. We are in his mind. We're on his heart. The sea may be stormy, but the one who is the commander of wind and sea and rain has us on his heart has us in his mind, he's praying for us. Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, notice. Jesus is there, verse 23, on the mountain alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. What time is the fourth watch of the night? 
the Jews had divided the night into four watches. Sunset in Palestine was at 6 o'clock. So from 6 to 9 at night is the first watch. 9 to 12 at night is the second watch. 12 to 3 is the third watch. 3 to 6 is the fourth watch. So it's the fourth watch of the night. It's someplace between 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning, more likely about 4 o'clock in the morning. It's the darkest part of the night. The waves whip the, the wind whips the waves into fury. The boat is being tossed upon the sea. Now it's very fascinating. If they set sail in the evening at about 6 o'clock, and if this is about 4 o'clock in the morning, how many hours on the sea had they been traveling and toiling? If they set sail about 6, and if this is 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, how long had they been on the sea about? About 9 or 10 hours. How far had they traveled on the sea in that 9 or 10 hours? Well, take your Bible. Keep, we're going to come back to Matthew 14. But take your Bible and turn back to John 6, because we don't have to guess. The Bible tells us how long they had traveled during that period of time. And this becomes a very significant point. Now notice John, the sixth chapter. And we're looking there at verse 19. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. So... They had rowed about three or four miles. The Sea of Galilee is about three to four miles across. Typically, you could cross the Sea of Galilee in rowing that distance in no more than two and at most three hours. So as they're going out on the sea, they've been on the sea now nine or ten hours on a journey that should have taken them two or three hours. The wind has blown them further south. And so in the wind, they're struggling. They are rowing. They could have made it across shortly, but the wind blows them south. They're no longer closer to the destination when they started. They're weary. They're tired. They're exhausted. They felt they could battle no longer. Now, there are times in life where you battle and you battle and you battle and you say, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I can't fight any longer. That's the way the disciples felt. The storms rage all around us. And sometimes we get so exhausted with the battle that we feel we cannot fight any longer. But here is the incredible good news. Although they were out of sight of land, they were not out of sight of Jesus. Although they could not see him, he could see them. Where was Jesus during this time? What was he doing during their intense struggle? He was praying for them. He was asking the Father to increase their strength, to give them courage to go on. Jesus knew what they did not know. Jesus knew the cross was coming. Jesus knew that the nails were coming through his hands. Jesus knew the crown of thorns was coming upon his head. Jesus knew that the Romans would crucify him. He knew the fear that would seize the disciples' heart. Jesus knew that a much greater storm was coming, so he allowed them to go through that storm. Jesus was preparing them 
for the storm in the future? Is there a storm coming in the future in our generation that is relentless in its fury? Is there another storm coming in our day? Could it be that Jesus lets us go through trials of faith today to strengthen the muscles of our faith, to prepare us for the storm that is coming in the future? I read in a book called Reflecting Christ, page 311, a storm is coming relentless in its fury. Are we prepared to meet it? We need not say the perils of the last days are soon to come upon us. Already they have come. We need now the sword of the Lord to cut to very soul and marrow of fleshly lusts of appetites and passions. So sometimes God allows us to go through storms today. Sometimes the winds blow. Sometimes the rains fall to prepare us for the greater storms that are coming tomorrow. The disciples saw the storm. Jesus saw them. Their eyes were fixed upon the waves. Jesus' eyes were fixed upon them. To the disciples, everything seemed out of control. But in the midst of the storms of life, Jesus was still in control. Are you going through some storm? He has not forsaken you. In heaven's sanctuary, he's praying for you. Are you going through some storm? You wonder where he is. You cannot see him, but he sees you. In the storms of life, he is there. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 25 and 26 in our story, the winds are, are fierce, the waves are high. Jesus, there in the midst of the storm, sees his disciples. Matthew 14, verse 25 and 26, the scripture says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now the word fear in verse 26 is a very, very strong word. In the English language it says they cried out in fear. In the Greek language it says they were terrified. They were terrified. They were shaking with fear. They were filled with anxiety. They were terrified. Now here is the problem. The disciples feared what they did not know. You see, they thought that what they saw was a ghost or an apparition. Belief in evil spirits was very common in first century Palestine. The idea of ghosts, goblins, and phantoms was widespread. Now, these disciples had spent years with Jesus, but yet in a time of fear, their emotions overwhelmed them, and they could not think rationally, and they thought that this might be a phantom. The unknown often creates fear. When, you see, why are we afraid at times? Why does worry give us knots in our stomach? Why does worry give us headaches? Why does worry keep us from sleeping at night? Why does worry bring out anxiety? There are two reasons why fear is fear. See, fear is an emotion.
that sweeps over us. And there are two great reasons why we fear. The first reason we fear is we fear the unknown. We fear what might come. For example, what if I do have cancer? What if I do have to go th through chemotherapy? What if I do have to go through a bone marrow transplant? What if I'm in the hospital for three months between life and death? See, what, what if that lump under your arm is cancerous? What if that heart problem requires quadruple bypass surgery? What if that diabetic condition leads you to a diabetic coma? See, so we fear the unknown. We project the worst in our mind. Let me give you another example of how fear plays havoc with our minds. Every wife will resonate with this. It's 5.30 at night. Your husband typically is home from work. If he's ever late, he call, he's going to call you. Somebody said, Mark, you're not realistic. It's 8 o'clock at night. My husband's home from work, <laughs> not home. All right, whatever time is, you choose the time. Don't let the preacher choose the time, okay? So let's suppose it's, he's supposed to be home at 6.30. We'll compromise. Let's suppose he's supposed to be home at 6.30. He always calls you if he's going to be late. 7.30, not home. 8.30, not home. No phone call. How are you going to feel as a woman if your husband has told you he's going to be home at 6.30 for supper? He always calls you if he's not, and it's 8.30. You begin to project on your mind, on the window of your mind, fear. And you begin to think, was he in a terrible accident? Is, is, is there some pileup on the highway? So you begin to project fear. What about this illustration? Gentlemen, your company is making severe cutbacks. The economy has turned around, and people are being laid off. And you begin to think, if I am laid off, how can I make the mortgage payment? How can I make the house payment? In other words, fear often comes with the unknown. You have a teenage son. He's 13 years old. He's gone on a camping trip with the church, and you say, call me when you get there. He calls you when he gets there. You say, you know, son, just give me a call every day. Let me know how things are going. Three days go by. The fourth day goes by and you haven't heard from your son. You begin to call the leader and uh, the leader's cell phone is out. How are you feeling as a mother if you've gone four days without hearing from your child? You begin to fear. Then you read on the news that there's a terrible storm that has come in that area where they've been mountain climbing. And that some school group has been caught in the midst of the storm, and somebody has died. What do you begin thinking? Is this my son? Is this our school group? See, fear of the unknown grips us. Now, there's the second reason that we fear. It's not only the unknown, but it's the known. See, some of our fears never come to reality. But some of our fears do come to reality. What if there was an accident? What if your boy was lost? What if the disease is malignant? So there are two great reasons for fear. One, we fear what might happen, and we play the what-if game. The second great reason for fear 
is the reality that what might happen has in fact happened. But there is an answer to fear. You see, fear is an emotion, faith is an attitude, and focus is a choice. Fear is an emotion, faith is an attitude, and focus is a choice. We fear the unknown, or we fear the reality of the known. Faith does not deny the existence of a stormy sea. Faith believes that the Christ who is walking on the stormy sea will take my hand and get me through the storm. So faith, rather than focusing on the waves and the what-ifs or the reality, faith focuses on the one who has conquered, conquered every storm, the one who has calmed every sea, the one who took Peter by the hand and took him through. What is faith? Faith is trusting God as a friend well-known, knowing that he'll never do me any harm, knowing that his strength is to get me through whatever I have to deal with. That's what faith is. So faith says I can face the unknown. Faith says I can face the deepest trials in life because my hand is in the hand of the living Christ. You know, let me give you an example of faith. Another word for faith is trust. That you have absolute trust in God no matter what happens in your life. I'll need to go to, for these treatments I was telling you about. And I was talking to one of the owners of one of the clinics where I'm going to be. And one of the treatments I'm going to do is a complementary treatment called a hypobaric chamber treatment. Uh, they use that to build up the immune system. They use that to uh, strengthen the bones, etc. It was typically originally used for divers who uh, needed to decompress when they were coming back, but they're using it now for amazing, they're getting amazing medical results with it. And so here's what my friend told me. Now, this, this, this hyperbaric chamber is about 31 inches wide. It's about that wide. And they put you in there, and, you, and it's closed in. There's a little acrylic thing you can see out, and they seal it, and you're, you're in there for an hour. And so I said to my friend, you know, I don't know about this. Um, There's a little claustrophobia, you know, when you're in that thing. He said, Mark, the problem is not claustrophobia. The problem is trust. And I said, what do you mean? He said, here's what the problem is. When we put you in there, it's impossible for you to get out. No way. You can't get out. We put you in there, and we lock that thing. And you're in this chamber. So he said, it's not a matter of claustrophobia. It's a matter of trust. Do you trust the person that put you in is going to get you out? Do you trust them? Because if you do not trust the person that put you in there is going to get you out, you're going to panic inside. Because you cannot get out on your own. The storm you're going through, you can't get out on your own. <laughs> what is faith? Faith is trusting the one who allowed the storm to come that he is going to take your hand and get you through that storm. See, fear is an emotion. Faith is an attitude of trust. And focus is, direct, is a choice to place your confidence in the one whom you cannot see, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to get you through your storm. Now, in the midst of the storm... 
the, the, the raging, in the raging waves, Peter cries out. Take your Bible. Matthew 14, verse 28. Peter cries out. And Peter said to him, Lord, verse 28, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. He said, come. Peter did not allow his fears at this point to overwhelm his faith. So we'd lose focus. Faith leads us out of the boat. Faith leads us to walk on stormy seas with Jesus. Faith leads us to face the winds and the rains with our eyes fixed on the master of the wind and the Lord of heaven and earth. Faith triumphs over fear. Faith overcomes the obstacles. Faith enables us to walk on the stormy seas. Have you ever noticed the many times in the Bible that Jesus says, come? Matthew 11, you remember, Jesus says, come unto me, all you that do what? Are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says in John 6 and verse 37, him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. And notice how the Bible ends with the invitation to come. Revelation chapter 22. There in the stormy waters of the Galilee, Jesus says to Peter, come, step out of the boat, take a leap in faith. Trust me, Peter, I'm not going to allow you to drown. Revelation ends with this marvelous passage in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say what? Come. And let him who hears say what? Come. And let him who thirsts come, and whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Jesus says, come, step out of the boat. And Peter flings himself into the jaws of death. In the face of the howling wind, Peter does not allow his fears to paralyze him. What are your greatest fears? What are your greatest fears? What do you worry about the most? Christ is greater than our fears. Christ is bigger than our doubts. Christ is larger than our questions. Christ invites us to come to him on the stormy seas of life. When Peter kept his eyes focused upon Jesus, he walked on the water. But something happened to Peter. And what happened to Peter often happens to us. Faith led him out of the boat. But in the midst of the storm, Peter lost focus. Let's go back. Matthew 14, verse 30. In the midst of the storm, Peter lost focus. When Peter kept his eye fixed upon Christ and his word and his power, he walked on water. When he focused on the waves and the treacherous, the treacherous situation he was in, he sank. You see, we either look at our difficulties from an earthly perspective with our human reason and weakness, or we look through the eyes of faith at the promises of God. Matthew 14, and you're looking there at verse 30. See, at first, Peter was looking at Jesus. His fear gave way to faith, and his faith led him to focus. But here, 
he loses his perspective. He loses his focus. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now notice, Peter begins to sink beneath the waves. When we're dominated by fear, we sink. And the sinking of our spirits is the result of the sinking of our faith. Did you get that? When we are dominated by fear, we begin to sink. And the sinking of our spirits is the result of the sinking of our faith. We fear when we forget. Now here are two amazing passages to ponder. But can you say with me, we fear when we forget. Together, we fear when we forget. Once again, we fear when we forget. Let me give you the biblical evidence of that. Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51. We fear when we forget. Isaiah, the 51st chapter. Speaking of Israel. And you're going to look there. At verse 12 and 13. Well, we need to read verse 11 as well. Verse 11, 12, and 13 of Isaiah 51. So the ransom to the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's focus. It's focused not on the waves. It's focused not on the wind. It's focused not on the darkness of the night. It's focused not on the sickness. It's focused not on my fear. Notice what it says. It says focusing on the day that the ransom to the Lord come to Zion with singing and everlasting joy and sorrow and sighing flee away. Now verse 12. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid? God says... Who are you that you shall be afraid of a man who'll die? And of the son of man who'll be made like grass? In other words, God says, I'm holding you in my hand. And the worst thing that can happen to you is you're going to die. But one day you're going to walk on sea of glass. One day you're going to rejoice in Zion with singing. Then he says, verse 13, and you forget the Lord your maker. You're going through this stormy sea. You're going through this difficulty. You're going through this trial. You, you forget the Lord your maker. He stretched out the heavens. He laid the foundations of the earth. You feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor. When he's prepared to destroy you. And where's the fury of the oppressor? You see, God says, I'm your creator. I'm your maker. Rejoice. Rejoice. Second text, Psalm 43, verse 5. Let your fear give way to faith and let faith bear in your heart a new focus. A focus on the Lord, the master of the land and the sea. Psalm 43, verse 5. Notice what scripture says. And remember, when you lose focus, you begin to sink. And the sinking of your spirits is because the sinking of your faith. Psalm 43, verse 5. David raises this question. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? In other words, why are you so discouraged? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so filled with fear? Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Why are you so anxious? Why are you troubled? Hope in God. 
for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. When Peter began to sink beneath the stormy sea, there was only one thing that saved him. It was not his skill as an experienced fisherman that saved him. It was not his knowledge of the Sea of Galilee that saved him. It was not his wisdom in solving problems that saved him. It was not his ability to swim back to the boat that saved him. The scripture is plain. Matthew 40, 14, verse 30. Now you notice in the passage there are two cries. There's the cry of fear and the cry of faith. First, there's the cry of fear in Matthew chapter 14 when they cry out in verse 26. They think it's a ghost and they cry out in fear. But when you come to verse 30, when he saw him, he saw that the wind was boisterous. This is Peter. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He's sinking beneath the waves. The dark cold waters are pulling him down. The waves are beginning to crash all around his body. He's going under. It's dark, it's cold, it's wet. He cries out. See, the first cry is the cry of fear. Second cry is the cry of faith. You can either cry out in fear or you can cry out in faith. If you cry out in fear, you're going to be troubled, disappointed, discouraged, downhearted, dejected. If you cry out in faith, your spirits will soar. Notice it says he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And then the scripture says, now, Matthew is writing this from a first-hand experience. Matthew was a witness to what was happening. Matthew's sitting in the boat, and, and, and he's seeing this scene play out before him. Now, he doesn't write it when he's in the boat. His parchment would have got a little wet. He writes it later. But Matthew's in that boat, and, and this is not something that Matthew was told. It is something, indeed, that Matthew experienced. Notice what it says, verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And he said to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? I love it. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. When Peter cried out, Jesus immediately responded. Jesus is there in the storms of life. He's there when the waves are high and the night's dark. Now, Jesus cries out. Peter cries out and Jesus reaches out. Peter cries out, Jesus reaches out. When we cry out, Jesus reaches out. When we cry out in our weakness, Jesus reaches out in his strength. When we cry out in our frailty, Jesus reaches out in his enduring might. When we cry out in our utter inability to solve our problem, Jesus reaches out. We can have absolute confidence that Jesus never turns away from those who cry out in faith. His arm is strong to hold us up. Turn to Psalm 20, verse 6. Underline this one. Write it on a card. Memorize it. You may not need it today, but you're going to need it tomorrow. Psalm 20, verse... You're looking there at Psalm 20, verse 6. Now I know... Psalm 20, verse 6, that the Lord saves his anointed. As a child of God, are you one of the anointed of Jesus? Indeed you are. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. Psalm 20, verse 6. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand.
Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Verse 9, save Lord. May the king answer us when we, when we call. Did you notice what Jesus said to Peter though? He said, oh you of what? Little faith. Some people look at that passage and they say, well, oh, Peter only had a little faith. I say to you, a little faith is better than no faith at all. You see, a little faith is better than no faith. It reminds me of Jesus' statement. Remember what Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of what? Mustard seed. A mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds in Palestine. When we exercise the little faith we have, our faith in Christ's power to get us through the storms of life will grow into a mighty force that enables us to walk on stormy seas. If you have faith of the grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move this mountain of difficulty, this mountain of problems, this mountain of trouble. You'll say, move, and it'll move. See, if you only have a little faith, if your faith is really, really small, trust Jesus with the faith you have. Exercise the faith you have. And when you exercise the faith you have, that faith is going to grow and grow and grow. Notice this point. Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat, but he didn't have enough faith to get through the storm. Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat, but he didn't have enough faith to get, out, get through the storm. Jesus often allows us to walk in the storms of life with the little faith we have to grow our faith. Do you think Peter's faith grew that day? Do you think by going through the storm, Peter's faith was strengthened that day? Jesus often allows the storms of life to blow upon us to increase our faith. See, if we would believe more, we would doubt less. Can you say that with me? If we believe more, we doubt less. Again, if we believe more, we doubt less. The business of faith is to resolve our doubts so we place confidence in Christ and Christ alone. Imagine this scene. Imagine this scene. Peter and Jesus walking hand in hand on a calm moonlit sea with stars shining like diamonds in the sky. Jesus has said, peace be still. Jesus has calmed the troubled sea and he's calmed their troubled hearts. Jesus has spoken and as Lord of land and sea and wind and rain, the moon shines again. The sea is like a sea of glass with not a ripple upon it. And Jesus and Peter together, hand in hand, walk back to that boat. The elements were out of control, but Jesus was in control. The boat was out of control, but Jesus was in control. The disciples' emotions were out of control, but Jesus was in control. In spite of the devil's attacks, Jesus is in control of your life. In the safety and security of the boat. Look at what the disciples exclaimed. Last verse, Matthew 14, verse 23. Here it is. Faith has triumphed over the storms of life. Jesus, the Lord of wind and rain and sea, has calmed the storm in their troubled hearts. And in Matthew chapter 14, last verse in this passage. 
Verse 33, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. What a day it had been for them. They cry out, truly you are the son of God. Within a 24-hour period, they saw Jesus take five loaves and two fishes and multiply it and feed 5,000. If that doesn't amaze you, I don't know what would. Within a 24-hour period, they saw Jesus walking on the water. If that doesn't amaze you, I don't know what would. Within a 24-hour period, they saw Jesus calm a storm on the Sea of Galilee. If that doesn't amaze you, I don't know what would. In a 24-hour period, they saw Jesus pull Peter up and walk back to the boat. If that doesn't amaze you, I don't know what would. Now, there are three vital lessons in the story. Here they are. Number one, Christ allows the storms of life to come to every one of us. No human being living in the stormy waters of earth will get from here to glory without going through a storm. You're either going through a storm right now or you will go through one. Lesson one, Christ allows the storms of life to come in order to strengthen our faith and reveal his power not to drown us. God allows the storm, Jesus allows the storms of life to come to strengthen our faith and reveals his power not to drown us. Number two, Christ governs the intensity of the storm and the duration of the storm. Number three, Christ reveals himself in the midst of the storm. It's in the storms of life we see him most clearly. We feel his presence most markedly and we experience his power most dramatically. He sees us through the storms of life today, so one day we can walk on the sea of glass with him tomorrow. He leads us through the stormy seas to the sea of glass on eternity's peaceful shore. In prophetic vision, John sees another sea. In prophetic vision, John sees not stormy seas, but calm seas. Revelation chapter 15. And John speaks about those, those who've been through the storms of life today. He speaks of those who go through earth's last storm. Here is the incredible good news. Jesus will take you through the storms of life today. Here's the incredible good news. Jesus will guide you safely to heaven's shore. Here's the incredible good news. The dragon will roar in the last days. The beast will threaten in the last days. The false prophet will deceive in the last days. But with Jesus, one day we'll walk on a sea of glass. Revelation, the 15th chapter. We're looking there at verse 2 and verse 3. And I saw something like the sea of glass. No stormy seas here. No winds blowing fiercely here. No waves engulfing us here. Our little boat not crashing on the rocks here. I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, singing the victorious song of Moses and the servant and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways. When we stand on the sea of glass and look back over the stormy sea of life, 
we will say, just and true are your ways, O Lord. Every storm I went through was worth it. All the winds that I faced were worth it. All the waves that I faced were worth it. Because now I'm standing on the sea of glass. On eternity shore where the winds will no longer blow. Dan Crawford was a successor to David Livingston. He spent 32 years of his life in Africa as a missionary. He died of a terrible infection in the heart of Africa. And he wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible these words. I have read them to you before. I read them often. His dying day, he wrote these words in the flyleaf of his Bible. I cannot do it alone. The waves dash fast and high. The fog in the mist set in. The light goes out in the sky. But I know in the end we too shall win. Jesus and I. A coward, wayward and weak. I change with the changing sky. Today I'm so, brong, so strong and brave, but tomorrow I may be too weak to try. But Jesus never gives up. In the end, we too shall win. Jesus and I. In the storms of life, he is there. Though the outward body perishes day by day, our spirits soar to be renewed in him. And we sing, Lord, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Thank you for listening to our daily devotional program. If you like what you have listened, please consider subscribing to our channel so that you will get daily notification. For more Christian references, please visit our website, www.beyondmycross.com. Have a great day and God bless you.